ZimmerCommunications.com, your marketing resource in southwest Missouri. Let's get biblical. God, the omnipotent ruler of heaven and earth, breathed into dirt the breath of life. Here's Bruce the Theologian on The Elijah Har Show. Welcome back to KWTL. For all of the Bruce fans out there, we apologize. We had not podcasted his stuff last week. You say we. It was me. I forgot. Producer Garrett forgot. Hand up. That's on me. Um, um, it's, it's, it's been posted now, but it's, it's, it's my bad. All right. So, <laughs> Bruce the Theologian. First, we're going to start off question of the day. If there was one physical attribute of somebody else, actor, singer, musician, you name it, you're like, man, I've always been sort of jealous of, or I would love to have this physical attribute. Who would it be, and whose would you take? Um, hmm, I've not, um, I've not thought about that. I think, um, I mean, I'd want to be a little bit taller, but I wouldn't identify. Not that I'm particularly short, but um, I think if I did identify someone and um, want to have that attribute. Um, it might speak poorly of my theology, uh, being that um, I wouldn't be um, uh, satisfied with God's providence of how he made me. Oh, that's okay. That's interesting. We're the temple of God. The temple in some way was designed. In, so, all right, let's 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 dig into that for a minute. Mm-hmm. I assume you have no problem with lifting weights or dieting and trying to update the temple of God. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Okay. Update the temple. I'm just, you know, like, like maintaining. It's like painting the temple. It would or, be maintain you know. the temple of God. Okay. But you wouldn't want to change the temple. Not really. Okay. No. Uh-uh. You don't think the temple occasionally is like, oh, man, there's like a nicer roof over there. Let's put that roof yeah, on the temple. I mean, I could be more dedicated to go to the gym more often and things like that. But as far as I've thought about that growing up as a kid, you know, I'm, I'm five foot nine. I thought, well, it'd be, it'd be nice to be taller. But you don't want to be too tall because that can be an inconvenience. And what's the perfect height? Like six, um, six, two? Yeah, I mean, six, I, I've got... Like, I, taller than most people, but not, like, not where people yeah. are, oh, he has to duck you when he walks in. Well, sort of thing. I married into a very tall family. Um, uh, and all my brother-in-laws are well above six foot, six five. Uh, several, a couple of them are six five. Um, and uh, my brother-in-law, Jack, he can't, because he has a very tall torso, he can't drive my car because... And I don't have a little tiny car or anything. But because his torso is too tall, his head is tweaked to try and drive my car. So is that, this, is this your new old car? Um, no, the car before that. Oh, one. okay. But I've still got it. For those of you who don't know, this is one of my favorite things about Bruce because you are, you know, you're a detailed person. And you told me the story. You found this very select car online that was in California. Mm-hmm. You flew to Las Vegas. You rented a car and drove to California. You picked up the car that you wanted to buy, mm-hmm. and then you drove it, what, 25 hours across the yeah, country? Yeah, 1,700 miles home from Bishop, California. Yeah. Straight Which home. is, and it's what, what, it's an older car. Yeah, it's a 2000 Lexus LS400, but it only, had, it only had 60-something thousand miles on it. And for, the, for those who are out there who are uh, Japanese car enthusiasts, um, the engine that's in that particular Lexus is the on, one of the only passenger car engines ever approved by the FAA for aircraft usage. 
So it is a is as bulletproof as a bulletproof engine can get. And there's a guy out there in the, in internet land called Matt Farah who has over a million miles on his LS four hundred. That's again when you first told me this story, I I and and this is the question from yesterday. We were discussing this yesterday. We 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 were discussing things we wish we knew. You were like, I wish I was more of a car guy. Oh, that's right. And that's I, right. I, I, when, when Bruce was telling me the story, I generically know what the car looks like. Mm-hmm. Had no idea that it was such a, not necessarily a collector's item, but such a sought after particular yeah, piece of machinery. Yeah. It's a historic car. It changed, it changed actually the entire car market in the United States in 1989 when they came out with the original LS 400. It completely changed because BMW and Mercedes and, um, the other luxury brands, uh, their their sales crashed, and Lexus's sales went through the roof because it was the first offering. Well, this is the final iteration of the original LS four hundred, and that's why it's um, highly sought after. My knowledge of cars is limited to the mid nineties Toyota Supra Perfect. is the best racing car, right. and I only know this because in Fast and Furious, he asks for a ten second car, and they go get him a mid nineties Toyota Supra. They can drop the engine into because. I don't know, lightweight, something about it makes it the best street racing car out there. Well, I'm connected to that too because I have the Supra grandfather or the father of the Supra, which is the Lexus SC400, which is the um, is what the mid ninety Supra was based on. Are you a street car guy? Uh, not a street car guy. I'm, I'm a kind of an old man, a luxury cruiser guy. Okay. So the original SC400 has a V8, whereas the Supra only has a straight six in it. Um, but the, but they call my car a super, my, well, the collector car that I have. It's called a Supra in a tux because it's a much much more luxurious version of that um, the uh, the Supra that you're making mention of. My brother, when he pitched in baseball, uh, was number thirty seven, and when he went to college, he had a Fast and Furious car, big exhaust. It was an Eclipse, you know, you painted orange. And my parents, for I think his birthday, got him a license plate that said Thug Thirty Seven. Oh, that's oh. terrible. And I don't think my father <laughs> has been ever more disliked than in his two years of college where he drove an orange Eclipse with Thug 37 for a license was plate. He, was he pulled over the, by the police many times? Uh, he or? was pulled over rarely because of the license or the color of the car, mostly because he drove it very fast. I see. Okay. I remember one time, we're way off topic. I remember one time <laughs> we were going to go, I think, to the Jack's Fork River to go floating. We were late. And so he was driving extraordinarily fast on back roads. And at some point he got pulled over and we were very close to a four way intersection in the middle of very rural Missouri. And from the other three directions, police cars came all the way. So we had four police cars around him. And I remember being like, Oh, we're probably going to go to jail at this point. (laughs) We didn't. Okay. Let's get into it. Vody Bachman has a new book. It's called Fault Lines, the Social Justice Movement and Evangelic. You're, you're moving the book. I can't even see. And Evangel, even, Evangelicalism's Looming Catastrophe. Yeah. And you, you, you said to me yesterday, you're like, I want to talk about what this book is really getting into. And all of my recollection is that Vody Bachman is one of Joelle Cannon's favorite authors. She loved reading about his really how to raise children in the modern day world. Uh-huh. Is um the book um, um fault lines came out in 2021, and uh, what what he's trying to do is identify a problem that he sees in the evangelical world that is basically the the dividing point in the evangelical world, which is over 
uh, critical theory and social justice issues, which he says parts of the evangelical world are, are, are deeply involved in, and that concerns him. Walk us through a little bit. So we talk about this a lot, how our children can be or are on the front lines, particularly, and I'm susceptible to this, my children go to public school. Not always my choice, but they go to public school, and every day they come home with what I would consider garbage in their heads that I then spend my time trying to root out from them and put them back onto the biblical baseline. And walk us through sort of what what the book says. Um, his big concern is is uh, critical uh, race theory, and I'm sure that's something that is, is batted around in some of the public schools today. Um, but his um, and the and the victim mentality that many Americans live with and are basically taught in some in many of the public schools today. Um, but his big issue with it, with it being part of Christianity is that uh, critical justice and social justice uh, issues end up becoming a replacement for the gospel, um, whereas people's identity is now their race and their ethnicity, it's not their identity in Christ, and that's a big problem. You know, it's interesting because critical race theory has become one of the big things in public schools around the country, socio-emotional learning, another buzzword. We're seeing this a lot in the public school system, but especially with critical race theory, you've seen countless school boards around the country or videos from inside classrooms where, you know, Kids are supposed to apologize because their great grandparents or great great grandparents may have owned slaves. And mm-hmm. th- it, we we have seen a, a big movement of this into the public school system. Yeah, I, I've uh, I was actually at a meeting. I think it was three three or four years ago now, where a um, an individual from the local NAACP chapter uh, lectured several of our local school um, uh, heads of the school board from multiple um, districts. Nick Ozark, I think, were there, and, and Springfield. Um, about the issues of uh, these issues and um, um, transgenderism and uh, and uh, what's known as um, um, expressive individualism is the technical scientific term. Um, but yeah, I mean, whoa, whoa, what's expressive individualism? We'll have to do a show about expressive individualism. <laughs> there's a there's a great book by Carl Truman uh, called called The Rise of the Modern Self, um, and we can we can definitely have a conversation about that. But expressive individualism is you you invent yourself. So whatever you want to say you are is what you are. That's super interesting. Mm-hmm. What's the, you know, what's the, when they say you can invent whoever you are, to what extent does that go? Um, it really doesn't have an extent. Okay. I mean, it's funny, I um, I saw a little Ford Ranger truck here in town the other day, and uh, and on the back of it, um, it's it said on the bumper sticker, I identify as an F-350. <laughs> so I thought that was an example, a local example of someone uh, having a little laugh with uh, with the expressive individualism. You know, it's funny, and we're off on a rabbit trail, but I remember a few years ago when Rachel Lazel got caught, she was the head of the NAACP in the Washington slash Seattle yeah, area. I remember that. And then it turned out she was just, she Swedish. was a, just a normal, yeah, she was mm-hmm. Swedish. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, I identify as African American, and mm-hmm. everybody made fun of her. Mm-hmm. And then within two or three years, the I identify as became mm-hmm. a cause celebre of mm-hmm. the mafia of the schools yeah you can you can um say anything you want to say and i mean we've even heard about uh some of these um i don't know if it's schools but some places of business and and uh, corporate offices in san francisco where they um where they have a kitty litter play th- um, stations in the bathrooms so i've got to ask because mm-hmm. i've heard that rumor is mm-hmm. there a concrete actual example of that because i've heard that and then i've heard that oh no that's an urban legend 
Um, I, I we'd have to look up the articles. Um, but there's, the, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't really um, follow Twitter or any of that kind of stuff. But you should. You I, really need a Bruce the Theologian <laughs> X page. But I did, I did read Especially that. Especially as we mentioned, you've got people that listen all over the country to this particular segment. So. <laughs> yeah, I think we do have some listeners from Texas. I was told about at church the other day. So, uh, but no, let, let's do a dive on that. I, I appreciate sometimes the stuff on there that, that, that's just a rumor. Um, but. Um, but there, there are people that identify it as what we call two sp- So, you know, that, that, that's out there, and, uh, and, and to some extent, corporate America apparently is, uh, is accommodating them. Talk to us about, I think one of the things I see the most in the modern day, the, the dogma of public schools, and particularly rising with the CRT, is a lot of this victim mentality. Everybody, they're not failing a test because they didn't study, because they didn't do homework, it's because they're a victim of the circumstances they were raised in, their parents, their class, their their local community, whatever it is. It's never the fault of the person doing it. Yeah, and that and that's one of the key issues with uh, with the, the social justice issue. the The problem is is that the term justice has been has been hijacked uh, from a biblical perspective. Uh, justice is is seen as the righteous application of God's law, but unfortunately, in the social justice world, it's seen as the equality of outcome. So if there's an inequality in outcome, this is something that's unjust. But if you apply that in reality, then that would mean the National Basketball Association is unjust because there's too many American, African-Americans represented in it. I also think the equality of outcome versus the equality of opportunity is, mm-hmm. you know, you can finish up a test. And in law school, the way they do tests is they take all the tests. They take the middle grade and they, they, they anchor that to a number. So let's say the middle grade is a 78 or an 82 or a whatever it is. And then they curve it from there. And the idea is that you are competing against those. Well, quality of outcome would say every person has to get the same score on the test mm-hmm. because it would be unfair for one person to do better than anybody else. And, mm-hmm. you know, listen, this, this, this idea we see all over. I, I was homeschooled growing up. We used to joke about some of the homeschool events. Everybody got a medal because we didn't want anybody sad or going, mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. but that's not how life is. No. Real life, there are winners and losers. And frankly, the sooner you learn that you pick yourself up off the, the, the floor and dust yourself off and say, I'm going to do better next time, the better for you in life. Yeah. And I think we should all be concerned with that, that uh, we live in a meritocracy. We wouldn't want a, um, we wouldn't want social justice with regards to who's flying the plane. We would make sure that they're qualified regardless of their race. Um, and, um, in any profession, you want the highest skilled individual that's gone through the education to, to achieve a license or, or a status of sorts. And, um, it, it doesn't really matter what race they are. It matters whether they're qualified for the job or not. What is Vody Bachman? Give us a little background on who he is. Um, he's, uh, he's African American, though it's funny. One of the, um, one of the reviews that someone, um, uh, gave of his book, Professional Review, um, said that he was a white supremacist of sorts, but they didn't realize he was actually black. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he is the, he's the president of a, of a, of a Christian university in Africa. Um, he spends a lot of time. He's from America originally, from the States. I believe he was from Texas, but then also lived in Los Angeles. Um, and, um, he, he speaks at a lot of, uh, church conventions and he is pretty involved in the homeschool world as well. Um, but yeah, he's um, he, he's got an issue with a lot of the uh, the uh, the social justice and uh, and CRT movement, uh, and he he's in a position. Obviously, as an African American, he's in a position to critique it and not be accused of being an Uncle Tom or or um, you know he's he's saying it as it is because he, he's he's lived that life. 
It's funny how uh, people like him sort of end up, I'd never heard of him, and then maybe six months ago, Joel started sending me uh, clips from him talking, giving speeches, or talking on a podcast, and being like, man, there's everything he says really makes sense. And you mentioned that uh, John MacArthur is in the process of, of putting out a book that's going to have some of these themes in the in the in the writings yeah in the coming days i think it's uh, i heard uh, MacArthur recently said that he's working on a book called the war on children um so yeah th- there'll definitely be elements of of uh, this this kind of thinking um in the book i'm sure what's the solution what's the are we are we in the phrase of everything that happens in modern the modern world or modern america is it's worldly and there's just no saving it and we should hope for a better future or is there a plan and of action that that Vody recommends well i think Bacham's probably one of his biggest griefs is that um our biggest beefs with the situation is that he he thinks that the, the world is influencing the church as opposed to the church influencing the world oh, we, talked, and that's we talked about this you, last week i say that's a theme yeah. you brought up before yeah that's a concern of mine that the that the the world is now taking its cues from the church uh, I should say that the church is taking its cues from the world as opposed to it being the other way around. Um, but the, the problem for anyone who's Caucasian or white is that under the, the, the rubric of, um, of uh, CRT is that you, you, you're, you are an oppressor. There's no way you can't be an oppressor. There's no way to atone for the fact that you are an oppressor because you're the, you're the, um, you're the member of a, of a white hegemonic power that has continually oppressed uh, people for the past, you know, 500 years. The problem with that is it's, it's fundamentally anti-biblical because y- your identity as a, as a Christian is in Christ. It is not your ethnicity. Um, and, and really, and, and we get into the issues of things like cancel culture, um, CRT and, and BLM and some of these, and they love cancel culture. They love to cancel people, but canceling people is, is fundamentally unchristian because it lacks any form of forgiveness, and forgiveness is a major component of, of Christianity. Really interesting stuff. We could go on for a while. We've been doing this for about 20 minutes almost. Uh, it's interesting because I always like to take some of the biblical precepts and apply them to government, sometimes popularly, sometimes not so popularly. But I remember in 2000 when George W. Bush ran for president and he ran as a compassionate conservative. And it was sort of a buzzword at the time. Mm-hmm. And now I would say the Republican Party has essentially rebelled and been like, we are not compassionate. We, we're not we're not apologizing for anything. We're sort of bold and brash, and we want to always be on offense. And it's fascinating. I've always thought, and there probably is, you would think somebody would, would and or has written a book on how a Christian should act or run a political campaign, just using the precepts of the Bible, which I think would be a really interesting thing. That would be interesting. They might Their campaign might run out of money very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um because but, controversy sells. I mean, that's that's yeah. the people that raise the most money. We've talked about this ad nauseum. Matt Gates threw Kevin McCarthy out because he could raise money to run for governor of Florida. Right. That controversy is what raises you the eyeballs and the dollars. Right. I mean, recently, uh, Donald Trump, I think they said he made over $7 million from his mugshot. Yeah. So that's that's a way to, and you know, the Trump issue is another issue, but... But obviously he's he's um, uh, been in some hot water, but he's he's harnessed that hot water into making a lot of money. All right. We're out of time for today. Bruce, really appreciate you coming on. My challenge for you today, I need you to create an X account because Bruce <laughs> the Theologian needs to be on some sort of social media that we can say, hey, go to this. Obviously, you can go to the KWTO 
Spotify or Apple Music. You can download the podcast. But at some point, we need you on social media dispensing your theological words of wisdom. I guess I need to get a publicist. I love it. And they can do that for me. I love it. We'll be right back. We'll answer the question today. Don't forget, 505, we'll dive more into today's failed vote for Jim Jordan for speaker. We've got to break all that down at 505. Skill to understand.